Morning. The Lord be with you. Um, my name is Andrea Reinhardt, and I am part of the College of Preachers here at the table, which is a cohort of people who are being trained how to proclaim good news by preaching on Sunday morning. And I am definitely privileged to be here this morning to share the good news with you as we are all learning together to proclaim good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So for the first 10 years of our marriage, my husband Mike and I spent um, those years in school. And we got married in college, and then he went on to do school, and I went on to do more school, then I went on to do more school. And so we <laughs> had this uh, 10 years where we felt like we were either studying or we were working to pay in order to study. <laughs> and it felt like every dollar that we didn't need to live on, we would put toward tuition and books. This is, what we, this is just what we did for the season. Almost everything we owned had been given to us. We didn't travel. We were really um, conscious about not going out to eat too much. We waited to have kids. And it was a season of life where it felt like we just were squeezing everything we could out of every dollar. And we were squeezing everything we could out of our bodies and out of the work we could get out of our bodies. And I think that was especially true of Mike, just based on the nature of the type of work he did. So like there was a stint where he worked at a Kraft Foods factory, and he was in sanitation in the cheese part. So he had the glorious pleasure of like six days a week spraying off machines and just like getting doused in cheese water. Uh, that was in college. And then he had another good job of where he delivered drywall and other kind of building supplies. And these are like oftentimes 150 pound double sheets of drywall that um, they used a lift, but then you have to like take it off the lift, put it in like 100 degree buildings in the heat of the summer and the humidity of, of Kentucky. So you're like using your body as like a tool to put like hundreds and maybe even like a thousand sheets uh, of doing this like a thousand times a day for like the summer. So he did that for a while. And I think for the most part, the grinding and the grueling of that, we were like, it paid off, we stayed out of debt, we've been able to survive. So then we moved to Southern California in my last stint of when I was um, doing school, and that was a totally different ballgame. We found that this had become a different ballgame because we weren't paying for school anymore, but anyone who knows anything about Southern California, it's super expensive to live there. So even though we weren't paying for school, it still felt like we're barely keeping our heads above water in order to, to survive living here. And after about a year of us living there, Mike lost his job, and it was in 2010. So the recession had happened in 2008, and the job market was not recovered. And the jobs to apply to were so few and far between. So we were in this boat of Mike being like, I have a master's degree, and I have all this work experience, and I cannot get a job. And for about three months, we're just hanging on and watching whatever savings we have just dwindle down and dwindle down and dwindle down and wondering, what are we going to do? Uh, so we were taking a walk one day and having this difficult conversation of like, okay, we can't keep going on like this for too much longer. What options do we have? And it was like every option on the table, we're just throwing them out there. Like, do I need to take a leave of absence um, from school and try to get a job just to hold us over? Or does Mike need to move back to Indiana and I'll stay in California and finish my coursework? We're just throwing these out there. And then we're walking along, and Mike got really quiet. And I remember that I looked over at him, and he just looked more defeated than I've probably ever seen him in our lives. And he said, I just feel like we've worked so hard for so long, and we don't have anything to show for it. And I think that I suspect that there are countless stories 
uh, from people in this room of that experience of feeling like there's this grinding work and this grueling work that has happened and you just come up empty. There's nothing at the end of that work. Um, I worked my butt off, but I didn't make the team. I didn't get the job that I, I dreamed about, that I put all this work into getting. I've done everything I could to, to fix it, but this relationship isn't what I wanted, or this marriage isn't what I wanted. I have poured myself out into my kids. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where to go from here. And we're left feeling like um, we're just left there with empty hands. And it leaves us wondering, where is God in the midst of all of this? Is any of this even worth it? Um, friends, today we proclaim good news. You are freed to leave behind the laboring by the sweat of your brow. Release your empty hands into the soil of God's good work. God is restoring all things. Rest today knowing that your empty hands are enough. In our Isaiah reading today, we read a word about a servant of the Lord who's being called into the work of reflecting God's glory in the world. And one of the ways that the servant is doing this is by bringing back the tribes um, who have been in exile, bringing them back to Israel. So in the season of Advent and Epiphany, we've been preaching um, through the book of Isaiah. So we've talked quite a bit about this exile to Babylon, which just as a quick summary, when the Babylonian Empire came to power, there were three different kings in Judah who had rebelled against the Babylonian Empire. And each time the Babylonians came in, they put down the rebellion, they deported people out of the land, especially royalty and prominent people and soldiers and artisans, into various parts of the empire to live. And so there are people of Israel living all over the empire in Babylon. But when Cyrus the Great of Persia came and defeated the Babylonians just a few decades after the people had been living in the land, he took on a different policy. And he decided all of these people, different people groups who are, have been deported into different areas, if you want to, you can all return to your homelands. You can rebuild your temples. You can worship your deities. And so the tribes of Israel were given this opportunity of returning back to their home. And I can imagine there being a celebration after decades of being in this foreign land. We finally get to go home. And at the same time, after decades of living in exile, there's also a sacrifice of returning home, right? Because these people have built a life in this new land that they've come into. In the book of Jeremiah, this is at the very beginning of exile, Jeremiah writes to the exiles and he tells them, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there in exile, do not decrease. So this is what these people did in a foreign land, right? They built lives there, and they are leaving behind something when they returned home. Some of them may have been born in exile, some of the people returning home. Those, this is the only land they'd ever known. So when they return to the land of Israel, they're rebuilding their lives again. And when they come back into this land, some of them, their homes had been destroyed um, earlier on with all of the conflict that happened. Their homes had been deteriorated because no one's lived there for decades and decades. Or there are foreign people who had been resettled into Israel, so maybe there's like some foreign person who's living in the, in the land or the home that, you once, that once was your home, but it's not anymore. The temple had been destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down. This is coming into a place that is a celebration, but a struggle. And these are the kinds of words that we hear in other um, places of scripture, like in the book of Nehemiah. He talks about how the people returning to the land are afraid of being attacked by the, the groups of people all around them, so they're constantly in fear of their own lives. But also, 
they, they have to struggle to um, have food, right? Because they have to plant fields and reestablish vineyards. And I thought of Jeff Culp. I'm like, of anyone, Jeff knows the struggle of establishing a vineyard. Like, it's not a simple thing. It takes a while. So they complained to Nehemiah, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And other people are saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. There's a struggle. There's a place in Haggai who prophesied during this time frame where he, I'm going to paraphrase it to kind of get a sense of how the people probably felt. We've planted much, but harvested little. We eat, but never have enough. We drink, but never have our fill. We put on clothes, but are not warm. We earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And when we read this word from Isaiah 49 today, I can hear the words of struggle in the servant's voice. Uh, in verses 3 and 4, the Lord said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. I can hear the servant saying, we've done all of this work. We keep grinding and grinding and grinding and building and building and building, but we don't have anything to show for it. There are still people in, in, Babel, in Persia now who haven't returned, and the people who are here are struggling. We've done all this work, and we have nothing to show for it. What we have are empty hands. And God's response to the servant is not, strive harder, my child. God's response in this passage is, I'm at work here. I'm present. I know you. I spoke your name while you were in your mother's womb. I've guarded you. I've strengthened you. I've given you honor and dignity. And in this moment that the servant's expressing that there's this emptiness for his labor and where he feels this failure to carry out this task that he's been given, God invites the servant into an even deeper vision of the good work that's being accomplished. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Restoring the tribes into the land is part of the work that God's accomplishing in the servant. And these are the people who have, who have experienced God's concrete rescue in their lives. They dwell in the land where God's present in their midst. But God also shares a vision with the servant that he wants to extend the saving work and shared life into the whole world. And he invites the servant into that work. And he invites the servant into the work of being a light to the Gentiles, not after the servant is celebrating all that he has accomplished. And not after the servant says, I've proven that I can do a good job in this, so now I can take on more tasks and I can do it even better. But God invites the servant into that work when the servant is standing with empty hands. In this epiphany season, we have been celebrating the, the light that has come into the world in Christ. And we in the church, we recognize that Jesus fully embodies the servant's life, that he who emptied himself and took the form of a servant also experienced laboring and being left with empty hands. But he also fulfilled the gathering of the people of Israel into God's presence and extending the light of God's saving work into the whole world. And just like God invited the servant in this Isaiah passage to be part of his restoring and saving work, Jesus invites us as we are following him to be part of that work as well. We proclaim the good news today. You are free to leave behind laboring by the sweat of your brow. Release your empty hands into the soil of God's good work. God is restoring all things.
Rest today knowing that your empty hands are enough. I know that as I've been preparing um, for this sermon, there has been so much good news that has just been seeping and sinking into me because I recognize that my worth and my value that I assess for myself is so tied to what I do and what I accomplish. That is so much in my bones. And so I thought about this story in the early days when I was coming to the table. And I wasn't really involved in anything yet. I'd just been coming for a few months. And uh, I was pretty much just showing up on Sunday, right, and being present here. (laughs) And then one Sunday, Father Ben, kind of, we were having a conversation, and he said to me, well, he was just affirming that my presence here meant something. It means something, which is a word that so many of us need to hear, right? Your presence here this morning means something. But he said to me, you're a gift to our church. And I remember that I kind of smiled at him, and I was like, thanks. But in my head, my immediate thought was, but how? I haven't done anything. This is some of the deepest bad news in my life, that my value is measured in what I do and in what I've accomplished. And it's a major script of our culture, right? This is where our culture values people. Your value in society is measured by how useful you are. And really, that is a logical conclusion when we're in a secular mindset where survival of the fittest is the explanation for all that is. We swim in the waters of the usefulness narrative. So I know I need the good news today that I don't have to labor by the sweat of my brow to produce and justify my worth and belonging. And at the same time, I'm receiving, in my, as I'm part of the table here, the hope that God is also inviting me into good work. And it, but that comes out of his love and wanting to be with me and sharing his authority in the world. Where is God saying to you today, I love you, I know you, I am with you. I've already fulfilled all good things. I created this world good and with nothing lacking. I created you very good and with nothing lacking. So I invite you into my good work, not because I need you to do something or I need you to fix something or because there needs to be something completed that's not complete. I invite you into this good work simply because I share my life with you. I share my creative work and my beauty and my goodness and my presence with you. And where, what kind of good work is God inviting you into this morning? Not work that's done by the sweat of your brow, that grinds down your body and your life, but work where you see God's glory and presence. And this might be the literal work of your hands. I know so many of us appreciate someone in this room who lives that out and working with wood. Or it might be the literal work of your hands, putting your hands in the soil, or creating art or music or a comforting meal. It might be the work of advocacy on behalf of others, and especially those who don't have any power. So as a business owner or in a workplace where you're in a position that you can make sure people are treated equitably and people's dignity is honored. This might be the work of welcoming or listening or bearing witness to someone else's experience or pain. This might be the work of nurturing, of nurturing a child or a neighbor or the creation that we're all part of. God is in all of these places and even more, and we are limited only by our imaginations to see that good work. Today we proclaim good news. You are freed to leave behind laboring by the sweat of your brow. Release your empty hands into the soil of God's good work. 
God is restoring all things. Rest today knowing that your empty hands are enough. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.